Hello and welcome to Activist Class. Today is Wednesday, November 6th, and my ballot is about to get counted tomorrow. We're here for another day. <laughs> oh, no. We're about two ballot drops in, right? Yeah, today mm-hmm. was the second one. So by the time you hear this, there'll be another ballot drop um, later in the afternoon at 4 p.m. Yeah. And that should be a major drop according to King County elections. Um, it seems like there is a reported... 55% of ballots being counted right now in Seattle. In Seattle. Um and in, an encouraging number maybe even inching towards 50% voter turnout, which is great for an odd year. Where are you getting that number? King County elections. The 50% they said that. Well, they're estimating about 48% voter turnout. Wow, okay. That's yeah. pretty good actually. Yeah. Yeah. And so considering like that's just an estimate and ballot boxes were like stuffed to the brim especially on Capitol Hill. We should see a pretty engaged um, election this time around. On an odd year, mm-hmm. non-presidential year, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And which also means pretty good news for progressive candidates, maybe, who are down right now. Not bad news. True. I think we're all pretty used to uh, mm-hmm. being in organized meetings and doing really boring, lame icebreakers. But... For the sake of everything going on, I, I kind of want to do a mood check. Like, mood check. Like, where is everybody at after we're now in the second night or the night after the election? Um, and we have some results, but we have a lot of ballots left to count. Where is everybody at? Hopeful? Scared? Depressed? Happy? Certainly not happy. I feel like we're exactly where I thought we were going to be. And I was not stoked Mm -hmm. about where I thought we were going to be. Yeah. (laughs) That's the shitty part is like, we already knew, like, first returns were not going to be in our favor. Like, Mm -hmm. we knew this. We know this. We always know this. But then when it happens, it still feels like fucking shit. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how to feel right now because obviously, like, it's, there's still so much up in the air. And I still have hope, like... I mean, even when I was dropping my ballot off on election day at like 6.30, like I had to shove my ballot into my ballot box because like there were so many people and there was a traffic jam and I live in West Southwest Seattle. So that gives me hope that like those ballots will be counted. But I, I am sad. Has your ballot been counted? Have you checked yet? No, it hasn't been counted yet. Wait, it was even stuffed in West Seattle. South Southwest w- Seattle. So, like, I live... Like, That's encouraging. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. I live... I dropped mine off at the Highline uh, Public Library. And there was literally, like, the whole road was, like, gridlocked with cars. Because everyone was, like, trying to put their ballots in. Wow. Okay. Mood How check? you feeling, Chrissy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel... Um, I feel okay. You know, I, I agree with Aretha. I think that, like, we were... 
and you spec, we were expecting this outcome to a certain extent. Like we knew that the first drop was going to be favoring big business candidates, but um, yeah, I don't know. I I will. Okay, so I actually have a lot of hope for Shama. Still, I feel like there's a lot of ballots that are left to be counted in D three, and she could still make it through. But like the way that the polls did shake out, do show how much change has happened in D three, and it's so close. And for someone as like empty as Egan to run on an anti Shama campaign that was ri- racist and sexist and for him to not have very much of his own personal accomplishment or personal platform to run on and make it this far I think is depressing and I'm gonna have to have a talk with the white women (laughs) who are responsible for this (laughs) um but yeah I think that what we need to do now is just like kind of analyze what this means in terms of like the viability of Egan, even though like if Shama makes it through, which I hope that she does and I think she can, I think we still need to have like a really serious conversation about what it means that he got so close. Right, like one of our friends said yesterday that the fact that Pamela Banks last, last election, you know, like leader within the NAACP, like black women, like all these incredible things, couldn't, like it wasn't this competitive of a race. But then you look at this race and it's like, you know, it truly was like if Egan had run a campaign that was based off of like his own ideas and, you know, like actual innovation that he believed in that was his own and like changes he wanted to see, I think we would have a different critique. But it truly was like just an anti-Shama campaign. Like that's all it was. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've been at candidate forums where every single answer to the question was, I'm not Shama. And I would have loved to have heard anything other than that come out of Egan's mouth. Um, because the it just goes to show that like it was really easy to sell the narrative that she's a divisive candidate and that we need a bridge builder. Mm. And it's really easy for people who are displaced from the existential threat, like we discussed in our last podcast, to think, Oh yeah, you're right. There is a nice way to go about making change. There is a there is a civil way that we can have these conversations. When in fact, there is really no way to do that when Amazon is bullying the council. Our structures are set up to favor business and accumulation of wealth that's concentrated at the top without any f- systems of taxation to redistribute that wealth. And no plan for it. And to be clear on Aretha's earlier point, um, the chamber used Pamela Banks as well. You know, a neoliberal, but on paper radical president of NAACP, black woman. And that was like the chamber's first attempt to dethrone Shama Sawant. And then now their strategy is to use this really dorkish like hollow Egan Orion who fucking shops for (coughs) lightly brown eggs babies at Pacific Place oh my god Jesus (laughs) on Facebook and so it's like uh, it's 
Shama still has a chance, like everybody says, but the fact that we're even in this position with the type of opponent Shama has is is depressing in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, whether Shama pulls through or not, and I and we think she will. Um, we still have a lot of ballots. Yeah, and to clarify, so as of today, which is Wednesday, November sixth, Shama is behind about eight points from Egan, which is not terrible. Uh, it's not also not great. She gained on him. Yeah, she very, very little today. Right, and so there's going to be ballot drops every day, at least the rest of this week at 4 p.m., around 4 p.m. Um, so people will be refreshing that page like hell. Mm-hmm. How do you feel, my beloved? <laughs> Gross. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Get a room. <laughs> we got a couch. <laughs> Get a couch. <laughs> um... I, I told myself on election night I'm not going to allow myself to feel feelings that are cemented until after Thursday, which if you've read my Twitter feed over the past two days, I'm being a big hypocrite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm actually very angry. Already. His rising is a cancer. Yeah. Cancer rising. Crab. Um, no, it's... Uh, how do I feel right now? I think... How I feel right now is I'm hopeful because I think Shama can still win. I think um, I may be slightly in denial about not being willing to call Sean Scott's race yet. I think it's pretty out of reach, but statistically, there's technically still a shot. I heard from one of his campaign staff. By the way, shout out to his staff. Um, Shout out to the the staff. staff. I mean, knocked knocked almost 40,000 doors over the past 11 months, a lot of them are women of color or um, gender nonconforming, radical, POC. They're brilliant. Mm-hmm. And they, they work their ass off. And mm-hmm. I heard from one of them that they collected about 500 ballots at Red Square an hour before the ballots closed. Jesus. Amazing. So I'm, I'm just going to like just breathe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a huge long shot. 17 points is a big difference from eight points. Mm -hmm. But then again, I think um, Alex Peterson is a lot more polarizing to the corporate right than Egan Orion is. Mm -hmm. And why I bring that up is because I think somebody like Sean will get a lot more, less nuanced momentum heading into the final week of ballots or uh, counting the last week's ballots versus like, I think Egan will still get votes heading into the next couple of days. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. And there uh, were a lot of single issue voters in D4 who just did not want the 35th bike lane. Um let's let's di- uh let's divert a little bit real quick and pause the city council elections because obviously there's a lot of voting still left to count. It seems like D7 it's going to come down to the wire but Andrew Lewis is probably going to pull through because he's the slightly more progressive candidate than Jim Pugil. Can I just read the numbers on that? Yeah. yeah. They're mm-hmm. fucking wild. It's insane. It's like so Lisa Herbold-esque Yo, so literally, listen, the peoples. <laughs> so Andrew Lewis is at 9,746 votes. Jim Puggle is at 9,766 Damn. votes. This is wild. Oh, 20 volts. No shit. Dude, that shit is wild. <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> Yeah, Man, so I can smell their old spice. <laughs> <laughs> Which was the opposite of what Shama's party smelled like last night, by oh the way. Oh, my God. Can I just make a PSA? 
<laughs> yeah. Please, for the people. Go ahead. You can <laughs> be anti-capitalist mm-hmm. and wear deodorant. Tell them. That's all I have to say. Tell them. You can use lemons. Oh, man. Yes. Lemons. Literally, just buy lemons and rub them on your underpits. Aretha just really wants you to say you can be a socialist and take a shower. It's true. Hashtag for showers the for, for the people. For the community. People. You know? Because we've had to do some overnight organizing at oh City Hall where God. we had to sleep on cots. But we slept on the floor. Okay, we slept <laughs> on the floor. That's true. We did sleep on the floor. And... You know, we're not trying to... Some people... This is not for people who don't have access to showers. Now, don't get all fucking PC on us, okay? Like, don't do that. Don't do that. We're not talking (laughs) about people. Like, we got to build more public bathrooms and showers. Okay, cool. We put that on the table. If you're a socialist alternative and you're one of those, like, fake poor people, there are a lot of fake poor people in Seattle. All right? Yippies. It's okay. Okay, it's one thing to be fake poor. If you're going to be fake poor... Don't fake the showering. That's it. That's That's a good one, actually. That's okay. Fake the poor. Go ahead. I see right through you. I know your daddy drive a Tesla, but you got to take a shower. There, I got your back, Aretha. Thank you, Dishik, and the clown on your head. Um, No, I don't. Don't thank him for that. Socialists who don't shower. Can we jump to D6 real quick? Okay, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So Dan Strauss, as of today... Um, is at 11,753 votes. Heidi Wills is at 10,490, which is good. Yay! That's good. That's, That's good. good. Yeah. Our, our little strudel is going to make it through. Thank, thank the strudel. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm warming up to Dan Strauss. I'm hearing from more and more people that he's a good guy. I think for me and my hesitation up until this point is um, I don't, and, may, and maybe it's just I'm naive to what Dan's history of community organizing is. But for me, like, that's where the first level of trust is built. Of course. It's like, how have of you course. shown up for community before you started running for an election? Mm-hmm. And if you haven't shown up, and I think a lot of the critiques on candidates with good progressive policies, but who haven't done the historical work for showing up for underrepresented communities is like, where where is the proof of concept you know and i think with people like dan and again maybe he has and i'm just not aware of it but people like even um a lot of the candidates in like uh like carrie moon's a good example who had and still has a lot of good progressive policies and really great ideas that i think can help a city in a lot of beneficial ways our question from community was where has her work been yeah, where the it, fuck did you come from and again like i she, i don't want to discredit the work that she has done up until that point in her own circles but if you're trying to get the support from communities of color and underrepresented communities we're gonna have to know who the fuck you are you know and i think with dan it's like okay like dan's a good dude from what i've heard that has really good policies and it's a situation where we kind of have to hope that he continues to do that Right. Because right. he's not accountable to the communities that are have those questions of doubt if he's going to continue to show up. So, like, he doesn't t- technically owe them anything. You know what I mean? Like, what does accountability look like for somebody like Dan? I feel like it's very similar to Michael Bryan, right? Yeah. 
And it's a good. That's a good comparison. I think a lot of people call that's him Young Lil O'Brien. The <coughs> Lacroix, Lacroix right. <laughs> of, of, of Mike O'Brien. He's a he's a hint of Mike O'Brien. <laughs> he is. Um, <laughs> Is there Michael Bryan in this? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's good. Oh. A little strawberry. <laughs> um, no, Michael Bryan's a good comparison because even Mike, somebody who has had good policies from the beginning, who has voted mostly on the right side of issues, occasionally kind of fucked up. Occasionally voted the wrong way. For example, the youth jail. For example, the repeal on the head tax and like community after was like, yo, what the fuck are you doing? And maybe there was like some regret, but it's like because Mike wasn't accountable from the ground level to those communities being impacted by things like the youth jail. Mm -hmm. He voted with what he thought was the best move, Mm. was unaccountable and communities paid the price for that. Well, he voted, I mean, Mike was hissed out of public spaces with his family, like private spaces, like going out to dinner with his family. Right. More more so over the last couple years. And I feel like he had to take stances that were in the opposite view of what his constituents would have wanted him to do. And so, like, when it boils down to city politics and district politics whoever is representing that district is going to, in order to like be in solidarity with communities of color, turn away from their district. And like, I think a white man in Ballard is the perfect person to get, to have to like take those hits, (laughs) you know? But like, um, at the same time, like I think Mike wasn't strong in that moment to say, and he could easily say like, oh, you know, I was standing with my district or whatever. And we can't let Dan, be weak and use that as an excuse yeah and i agree i mean to be fair though mike voted for the youth jail before he started getting hissed out of public spaces Mm -hmm. you you know that mistake happened before he was recall o'brien on those fucking groups on facebook Mm -hmm. you know yeah well what changed mike i mean it goes back to what i had said a couple episodes ago about like you can't have you know, progressive council members in a vacuum. They always have to have strong community organizing on the outside mm-hmm. um, because that is what provides them the support and the insulation, I think, to be able to make those really tough choices. They should, well, they're not tough choices to make the right choices. And I mean, it, it is hard though, right? Because that means it requires community to continually have to like, overextend themselves and like go out of their way to like hold electeds accountable mm-hmm. um so something that i often think about is like what is the healthy relationship in democracy for progressive elected um, officials who want to do good shit mm-hmm. and communities of color and marginalized folks to like want to like thrive um but i think that you know dan strauss if insulated could do some really good things mm-hmm. and you know, we just have to figure out, like, what the relationship will be like. I mean, I think also it, it, it is a shame, though, that, like, we have potentially four white men on our council now. That and is no really sad. black representation. Since the 60s, right? Yeah. yeah. And we had a female supermajority and majority people of color. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. And we could have maintained that and like deepened it. And so it's really sad to see almost half the council be represented by white men again. Cis white dudes. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Fucking depressed. Well, no, I mean, I like what does that say about how our city has changed? What do you guys think about that? Like, is it is it that our city has changed or is it that there's something that we as a community needs to do better in like supporting communities, like candidates of color to run? Like just because like Ballard is a fucked, super nimby, super white district, does that mean that like a, a candidate of color cannot come out of that district and be supported? I really think that that could be a possibility, but there were very few candidates of color actually who made it through the primaries. I mean, and that's why when you look at Shama's gap she has right now on Wednesday night and we see it's an eight point differential and a lot of people were like, oh, don't worry, that's the same amount of points she was down in 2013. It's a very different district. And it was later. citywide. In and it was citywide. Absolutely. Right. So the question is, is District 3 in 2019 more progressive or even as progressive as Seattle as a whole was in 2013? That's a good question. Aretha's shaking her head no. Yeah. I mean, since then, we've had very polarizing um, indicators that we've actually been going the opposite way. For sure. I mean, we have the Uncle Ike flagpoles everywhere, mm -hmm. you know, with Ian Eisenberg putting multi-million dollar pot shops every like in multiple locations in d3 and other <laughs> districts and in his big window sign first supporting ari hoffman yep and then now mm -hmm. supporting egan orion can you explain why that's problematic so the history of that block specifically is that it used to be it that block used to be a lot of different businesses over the years but historically like that was a place where like a lot of folks used to like sell weed and you know before weed was legal a lot of people got locked up for it still serving time still having to deal with that shit and as the cd got more gentrified you know uncle ike's moved in to like sell this pot shop and that whole corridor has now changed right like he bought that plot of land now he owns the car wash next door and there's been an ongoing fight between his pot shop and the local black church, historic black church in the area, because a lot of people are like smoking weed in the proximity of this church where they do youth programming, where they do a bunch of stuff for the like for the black folks still in the fucking CD. <clears throat> and now there's a lot of um, other housing complexes around the area. You know, like there used to be Earl's Cuts, um, there was a corner store, there was the mail, there's a post office. Um, like that was a really, like Union used to be like a spot where there was a lot of black owned businesses. That place has been completely gentrified. Um, but the Liberty Bank building is now on the block too, which is cool. But Uncle Axe has been a point of contention for organizing for a long time because he's really come to represent gentrification in the CD just in its, in its essence, right? Like. Black folks literally got incarcerated for selling weed, and then this white dude comes in and is making so much money off of that in a historically black neighborhood. I mean, this year we saw the demographic of South Seattle shift from being majority POC to majority white. 
And I think that's so an indicator wild. too of gentrification in our city and the changing demographic and how people of color have been pushed outside of the city limits. And so people are new to the area, like Speck mentioned off camera at the beginning of the night, <laughs> that a lot of people could buy that dumb establishment narrative that we were getting rid of candidates like Shama, who represented the status quo and who represented what was the how did they exactly phrase it? They it the change that Egan is a change candidate, yeah. a change candidate because people are moving here and they don't understand the context necessarily, and they can fall for that, especially if it's like flooding their mailboxes and being reinforced by Seattle Times editorial board endorsements. Mm -hmm. And so it stuck mm -hmm. and it's depressing. <laughs> and that's what makes me so nervous about like the usual like late voting returns usually favor the like progressive change candidates. Um, mm. But for folks that just moved here and are here because it's like a progressive town, like they're the they consider themselves to be voting for a progressive change candidate right mm -hmm. like whether or not that's fiction is you know obvious but so something we've talked a lot about with shama's race specifically is how one of the tactics used in races that are either close or where we know we have a fighter's chance is ballot chasing and so what ballot chasing is is you know anyone who lives in seattle or king county you get your little ballot packet and it has lots of papers and there's lots of things in it. Um, and there's a lot of technical <coughs> technical files that can make your ballot not count. And a lot of people don't know that. Um, and it can be small things, little, like big things. Uh, but we don't, you know, voting is always inaccessible and we're always learning on how to make it better. Uh, but one of the things about ballot chasing is even though you've turned your ballot into your Dropbox, as you track that, if you see that your ballot isn't being tracked or like something's going wrong, one of the things that may have happened is that there was a technical foul on your ballot. And so King County, as they're giving us the list, as they're dropping the list um, every day at 4 p.m. of ballots that have been counted, we will start getting lists of ballots that weren't counted. So they'll give us names... And I don't remember if they give us addresses, um, but we can probably cross-reference those with, like, uh, voter databases. I believe they do. Okay. And I remember, like, in the 2017 election, um, like, at the end of all the counting, King County announced that there was about 2,200 um, ballots that they weren't counting. Right. There is a there is an error, like you said, a technical yeah. error. A mm -hmm. uh, common error could be something like you do, you forgot to sign your ballot. Exactly. If you don't sign your ballot on the outside of the envelope, they're not counting your vote. Exactly. And so that's why it's like something very small like that. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's very very important for you to double check if your vote has counted. Yeah. And we've seen ballot chasing literally flip elections, right? Like that's how Lisa Herbal got elected. We've seen Shama use this in tactics before. And there was another race that I'm not remembering that used ballot chasing that also won. Um, so what a lot of campaigns will do in the coming weeks before ballot certification, which is November 26th, yes. is literally send out organizers with these lists to low-key stalk people and be like, hey... Hey, hey, your ballot didn't count. Please, uh, let's correct that. 
Um, so if someone comes up to you and is like, hey, your ballot didn't count, take the time, be nice to them, like they're trying to do you a service, um, because that shit is really fucking hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, literally, like, whatever number that hasn't been counted could be the differential in a race. If Shama is down within a couple of points, you know, a couple hundred, maybe maybe a couple hundred votes, and you know exactly, you know, you're, you're going to District 3, you're going to these specific houses, um, it'd be a lot easier doing that than what we had to do in 2017. Absolutely. And she has the best team set up for, like, just in terms of, like, They've done this before. Yeah. Yeah. And they know, like, like we, we saw how they campaigned and, like, they can get in where they need to get yeah. in. <laughs> very <laughs> fucking true. It is a blessing and a curse. Yeah, that's very yeah. fucking true. And we are giving them permission for the two weeks until certification for them to continue not to shower. And, and use that time. Yeah, don't in. shower, yeah. fuckers. Use that chase time. those ballots. Use that time to chase the billets. Yeah, that that could be something that comes down to. Well, it's definitely gonna come down to Shama Sawan's race. It might come into Andrew Lewis's race as well. It might come down to Andrew Lewis's race. It may come down to Sean Scott's race. We'll see. It basically it matters most with in districts and candidates who attract a lot of first time voters. Yep. A lot of voters, part of communities where there are a lot of voter suppression going on. And so it does matter for the Shama Sawan, Sean Scotts of the world where, you know, it's like people who are voting for candidates like Alex Peterson or Jenny Durkin have been generational voters. They know how to vote. It's like clockwork. They're the ones who usually vote within the first couple of days of receiving their ballot. They know what they're doing. And those communities who've been disenfranchised, those are the ones who need to really know that voting has become more accessible over the past couple of years. And I think King County has done a pretty good job in trying to continue that push forward. At the same time, it's, there's still a lot of ways where um, democracy kind of hasn't reached that point yet. And I think until we get to that point, until election day is actually a holiday, which is insane that it's not. Okay, so if we take Shama off the board, how does not not off the board, but if we take if we take in a that, hypothetical world. No, 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 no. If we just take if we don't worry about district three. Okay. If we don't worry about district three. That's a nice way to do it. How how do you feel about what council will look like next year compared to what it looks like today? I think that's kinda hard to answer because a lot of what matters in council is majority mm-hmm. because everything comes down to a vote. Mm-hmm. And on paper, you replace Bruce Harrell with Tammy Morales, mm-hmm. which is a huge win mm-hmm. for the progressive movement. Mm-hmm. But th- if you're like, you're also replacing hypothetically Shama Sawant with Egan Orion. And so I know the exercise. I know the, the exercise, but the like, <laughs> to answer your question, council on paper without D3 is more progressive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, even with Alex Peterson in, yeah, that's what I can't in little tell, cake seems, boy Rob Johnson's yeah, place. He seems more dangerous than Rob Johnson to me. Yeah, there's a real chance that Rob Johnson is a lot more progressive than Andrew Lewis, too. There's a chance. Rob Johnson wasn't the worst on some housing ideas, some okay. transit ideas. Okay. I, I, I've been no, a fucking big-ass so Rob be- Johnson 
hater yeah, in yeah. his tenure. Mm-hmm. And I just need to recognize where Rob Johnson also came from, though. He was a organizer specifically around transit and housing. He's so, a Yimby. So thinking and of that. he did those exact things and then he, was like, right, he bye. He, no, he did in that district and mm. they weren't always popular. So considering that fact, which you seem very oh convinced of, is it still a more progressive council? I'm thinking no. I'm thinking it's a, it's a wash. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm thinking it's a wash. And if that's if it's a wash, we've lost a lot of shit over the past four years. But if it's a wash, then when you put D3 back on the board, it matters. It's a fucking crisis. And that's yeah. what, I, well, that's what sure. I'm trying yeah, to yeah. say. Like, there yeah. are so many people on fucking Twitter being like, Oh, this is a victory no matter what happens in D3. And it's like, what the, what, what world are you living in? Mm-hmm. Victory for who? Mm-hmm. And this is what I mean. It's just like these. That is the like question of this fucking race is victory for fucking who? Mm-hmm. 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 You know, when you deal with things like compromise and like who's at the table and it's like, yeah, okay, maybe like the Mike McGinn's of the world will be fine. Mm-hmm. But... There are a lot of communities, especially those that Shama Sawan has have advocated for mm-hmm. that are fucked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think on paper, minus D3, it's a wash at best. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad Tammy took over D2. But that's one district. And I don't I don't know what's happening. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Feel like we have a consensus on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing that I I'm hoping for of those candidates, right, is the creativity, the imagination, and the bravery to put forth really, really progressive policy. Things that the imagination of communities haven't even been able to like cling to. You know, like rent control, for instance. You know, like. Rent control is something that I feel like people are stretching for, but are like, is this possible? Can this work? Right. What's the realistic path towards it? You know, things that like people can't quite see yet how to make it a reality. And like the only candidate that I really saw doing that was Shama. Shama would put those ideas into the imagination of the electorate and then we'd have conversations and debates and there would be movement building and activism that would build momentum towards saying, hey, actually, we need, you know, an increase in minimum wage or or we can actually like block the youth jail and like make um, like rethink what what policing looks like. And like I, I really think that like I don't see that coming from any of the candidates other than trauma. Mm-hmm. I just feel like they're just going to make, put band-aids on things and keep business as usual. And I feel like a lot of folks are looking at just like strictly like how the votes are going to break down and like replacing Shama with Egan in that case, like most of the votes will probably look the same, but the policies will be wildly different. Yeah. And so it's like being able to like understand her role was mm-hmm. like way more than a vote, right? Like it was... Yeah. Well, to Chrissy's point, the starting point is so different for depending on which progressive candidate it is. 
when the fight for 15 was happening, the starting point was 25. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like where like everybody knows when you negotiate, you got to start higher. You mm-hmm. got to start for more knowing you probably won't get everything, but you have to fight for everything. Mm-hmm. And the more you compromise, the the less the most impacted around an issue are going to actually receive. And that's why it's ridiculous that they are putting compromise as like an end, right? Like, like exactly. this is a thing that we're going to accomplish is we're going to compromise. Like that's right. Which means compromise thing. is a starting point. That and means we're goal, getting even right? less. Yeah. It's just, so it's like, Oh yeah, but this is still enough technically to tax Amazon. I, the original head tax that should have been passed was already a compromise. Mm-hmm. If this council plays out, we're getting, if at all, if we do get one, we're going to get an even more watered-down version of that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, okay, great. Yeah, well, I, it's not going to look good. Mm-hmm. And and we already knew we needed something more radical than that. Um, and we're not going to get it now. Mm-hmm. But we're going to have enough votes. And and that's the thing. Like I, These are progressive candidates, mm-hmm. but when they're not plugged into community and don't know like exactly what's on the line, they're going to start off from their own lived experience and the communities that they're used to. Mm-hmm. And those who they do not represent will continue to be an afterthought until they no longer exist in our city. Wait, it got sad again. I will say this. In D2, I bet there was an increase in voter turnout and an increase in voter registration. And I think like, even though that district is now majority white, I think that the POC in that district are really galvanized and are really politically active. And that is a huge plus. You you know what? This is also a good reminder that the electoral process is just one way to fight for justice. Exactly. You know, and like, at the end of the day, it we're just literally seeing what path towards material change we're going to fight for. You know, it's like we're, we're either going to elect the people that we need in, have the majority on council to vote for issues that we care about. Because like Aretha pointed out earlier, you can't be in isolation when you're in office. And the people that we want in not only have good policies like other progressive candidates, they're also representative of a large body of people who are depending on these representatives to fight for the issues. Mm -hmm. And if those type of candidates don't get into City Hall, then we're just going to have to go to City Hall. Mm -hmm. Shut it down. You know, uh, a little history lesson. Before Aretha was running the show at Mosqueda's office, she was standing on tables in City Hall (laughs) shouting at council members to not make police bunkers, youth jails. It's just... And Mos- Teresa Mosqueda got elected, and Aretha now is doing another way of fighting for justice. But if we don't have those options, we have other. We have to make other options. That's literally that is called the diversity of tactics. Yes, you throw everything at the fucking wall. We're gonna be in city hall Regardless. one way or another. Regardless. And that's it's just like how are we gonna get there? Yeah. If that means having majority on council and we make sure that they represent our votes, great. If that means interrupting council meetings until the new Sally Bagshaw says we're on timeout and get forced out of the room, so be it. But yeah. it's just like one one way we'll probably have a lot less sleep and True. probably our bodies will be more on the True. line. 
But that's what happens when a community doesn't have a choice. Like, we're going to have to win one way or another. Right. And we're doing this for our elders and we're doing this for the future generations. And the thing is, we've done this before, y'all. Yeah. Like, we have always, community has always fought for what we needed. We've always created the conditions for us to thrive, no matter what we were facing, right? Like, I always think of the Gang of Four. I think of all of the Seattle organizing that we stand upon. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we've been burning it down for a long time. Yeah. And we'll continue to do that. And, you know, no matter who is in office, community will always be resilient, right? Like, that is just the nature of our ancestors and where we come from mm-hmm. and what we what we embody. Our electoral process is literally built upon settler colonialism and slavery and 500 years of colonialism and globalization. Mm-hmm. And that shit is not going to get undone in a single election. Exactly. And so we have to, we have to organize and to mobilize in addition to pay attention to electoral politics because the electoral system is is structurally broken. Absolutely. So here we are. I predict Shama Sawant and Sean Scott on city council. You heard it here first. In case a miracle happens, I want credit. Airhorn. <laughs>